and welcome to Trek Companion, episode 38. I am your host, Brian Williams. I am Adam Caesar. I'm Stephen Embry. Today we're going to be discussing DS9's sixth season episodes, Far Beyond the Stars, Woohoo! <laughs> One Little Ship, <laughs> Honor Among Thieves, and uh, Change of Heart. And uh, for Far Beyond the Stars, we're going to get a little bit of an outside Trek perspective from our good friend, Trey Murphy. Let's get started. <laughs> Far Beyond the Stars, Season 6, Episode 13, Production Number 538, Original Air Date, February 11th, 1998, Teleplay by Iris Stephen Bear and Hans Beimler, Story by Mark Scott Zickery, Directed by Avery Brooks, Music Composed by Dennis McCarthy. Guest cast include Brock Peters as Joseph Sisko slash Preacher, Jeffrey Combs as Wei Yoon, and Officer Kevin Mulcahy, Marco Lemo as Golducott and Officer Burt Ryan, J.G. Hertzler as Martok and Roy Rittenhouse, Aaron Eisenberg as Nog and Vendor, and Penny Johnson as Cassidy Yates and Cassie. After a French ship is destroyed, Sisko considers leaving his post at Deep Space Nine, and immediately after this consideration, he begins having visions of his crew as 1950s Americans. But sheer examination reveals unusual synaptic patterns like the ones he had a year earlier. But before Sisko can discuss treatment, he finds himself in 1953 New York City as Benny Russell, a writer for a science fiction magazine. It's about my story, isn't it? That's what this is all about. He didn't want to publish my story. And we all know why. Because my hero is a colored man. Hey, this magazine belongs to Mr. Stone. If he doesn't want to publish this month, we don't publish this month. End of story. That doesn't make it right, and you know it. All right, welcome, Trey. Hey, how's it going, guys? Hey, man. uh, I told you about this episode a lot, like back at Christmas, I think, last time we had you on. And I was excited for us to discuss this episode um, for many reasons, among others. This episode is great. I love this episode. I'm sh- I think all of us do. Well, we're about to find out. For all I know, you might hate it. I don't know. But <laughs> I think this episode is like super accessible. Uh, even if, if somebody had never watched any, I know, I know you've seen some Star Trek, but obviously you, you haven't seen as much as like we have. Um, I think this episode is pretty accessible, even for people who haven't seen much or any Trek. So that's one of the other reasons I was hoping to get an, kind of an outside perspective to see if it, if it was as good, if it's, maybe it's only as good like in the bottle of us who are living and breathing Trek, or we're going to find out if it's as good, you know, for people that are a little outside of that. So uh, we're really appreciative that you uh, were able to join us tonight. Oh, you bet. And I'll tell you what, I, I loved it. I thought it was great. It's one of those that, as you said, it is easily accessible. And for someone such as myself that doesn't have uh, much of a background in uh, in Trek, I mean, it's, Man, I, I watched it last night, actually, and I kind of wish I would have watched it a week before because my mind is still racing around it mm. and trying to, trying to take in a lot of the different ideas that, you know, are just sort of thrown thrown around, um, especially the um, the idea of racial inequality, which mm-hmm. is, you know, something you certainly see a lot in media. But the way it's handled in this was a little different than what I've seen in the past, and I just... And in, in that the, um, the main character doesn't, um, like in so many films or television shows where race is such a big issue and it comes to a boiling point, you usually see uh, that spill over with the main character. You don't normally see them break down. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, was, I was really impressed with that. It's something you don't see often. And the, the whole episode reminded me... Um, that I really, really love watching Avery Brooks. Yeah. 
And he's just such a powerful, uh, a powerful lead. And yeah, I, I really know, the episode. I thought it was well, fantastic. One of the interesting things about, you know, like you talked about, uh, the way this episode discusses racial inequality, um, it, that it's a little bit different than the normal way it might be discussed, even on good television, for example, or, or other media. And that's one of the things I like about it is that it's just a little bit different. So it's not um, – it, it's, it's this weird like in the middle thing, right, which to me is almost more painful. Now, if you go back like 100 years before this episode takes place, you know, pre-Civil War America where, you know, in the U.S. we had slavery – terrible, awful. There was no, like, um, there was no question about where, like, a black man stood, right? Right. But get into the, the 50s era here, and you get, you get this, like, Cisco, or, sorry, not Cisco, Russell, Benny, Benny Russell, uh, going into work. Like, he's, he's, he's in the same room as these other writers. He's, he's doing kind of, he's doing the same job. There, there's this level of acceptance. There's this level of, you know, we, we are giving, being, trying to be equal or we, we are, you know, we've moved on from say slavery and we're a great country now. You know, there's this, there's this, there's this um, acceptance, but at the same time, this incredible divide. And in a way that's almost more painful because it's almost like, like, you know, putting your hand out and, and somebody reaches up for that hand and then you just slap it away, you know? Right. And the, uh, you know, the, the Benny character reminded me so much. I got to thinking actually about, you know, history and where, you know, a black man would be, as you said, hundred years ago versus, uh, the 1950s or today. And his character fits perfectly in with the persona of a Martin Luther King sort of mm-hmm. character. Uh, as opposed to, you know, Malcolm X, you know, or someone else. And it, his, his personality just fits so well right into that, where it does feel tragic. Um, just yeah, to it's like try. It's this time oh, period oh. where they can see it. They can see this equality in the distance. That, you know, you can, you can taste it now. And, and, you know, 100 years prior, there was just, there was no concept. But now exactly. you're, you're living there and you're just, and you're, you're thinking... I can envision this, uh, and it's not going to happen for me. It's not going to happen for me or my family in my lifetime. You know, I'm, they're just gonna—they're not going to publish my story. You know, exactly. It's something that oh, I, I would love to see it, and maybe twenty years from now it'll happen, but I won't be around for that. Which yeah, it, it makes it even worse. So. I, I suppose this is all a bit of a pessimist pessimistic view from the point of view that barely half a century later, you know, United States will have a, a black president um but you know it's hard to even look around today and feel um if feel that we've we've overcome uh racial inequality you know yeah it's something that's it's it's got deep seeds and uh, i think an episode like this you know actually it it pulls that back out and it says hey no it's it's still here even though this is depicted in the 1950s there are some people watching this that are thinking well he doesn't deserve it because we're a nation still of a lot of bigots (laughs) yeah well i tell you i I also another thing i agree with you is just how awesome avery brooks is and avery brooks performance i don't know if you noticed he directed this episode as well i did Um, notice that yeah very unusual usually in trek if they let somebody direct it it's their character if they let an actor direct the episode their character has a much smaller role because it's just too much work you know for them to also be featured and directed but in this one instance they felt the thematic <coughs> material would only be served 
well uh, by someone that has really experienced some of these things. And, of course, Avery Brooks has. Um, Steve, what did you think of Avery's performance in this one? Well, obviously, it's exceptional and even more so considering how he also directed the episode. You know, I mean, he's he was heavily involved with much of it and the production and getting everything just so. He made a lot of those decisions and he's in it like practically the whole way through. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's amazing. It had to be a ton of work. I, I can imagine how intense it was for him that, that whole, the whole time. He's always referenced this episode as his favorite of all the seven years of mm-hmm. Trek he did. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's also an, it's interesting you were discussing like from someone who might not be as familiar with Trek how this is just it's kind of just a, it's a it's a quality sci-fi piece you know and and it's it when you're so into Trek it's hard to think of it that way you think of it as an episode and you think yeah. oh, it's a kind of an unusual yeah. episode but then when you really ponder you say hey you know this would be something that just anyone could walk into and you could you know appreciate it as just a, a, a nice standalone piece of sci-fi television and, and, and interesting on a side note when i of course when i first saw this episode the, the, who wrote it wouldn't have meant anything to me but since i've you know gone back and watched all the uh, twilight zones and followed those on blu-ray the guy who wrote this is a kind of a twilight zone aficionado he like interviewed writers and oh and he's that Sterling guy in the past wrote books yeah yeah i didn't realize that okay oh, okay awesome hmm. yeah I, I like that uh, you know Coming into it, I I was expecting, you know, of course, sci-fi. I wasn't expecting certainly the 1950s uh, element to it. But at the very, I just, I love how paradoxical it uh, it feels with, uh, okay, well, who's real? You know, is it, uh, is it Captain or is it Benny? You know, that that questioning, that it's great. I really enjoyed that. And it's that's the part that, that stuck with me as well. And that actually has a very uh, Twilight Zone feel to it. So since you've mentioned that, it's like, hey, that, that actually makes a lot of sense now. As to uh, the writer. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. One thing I want to talk about is, um, <clears throat> uh, gosh, now I can't remember all the characters' names, but Abrajan Wa's character, you know, mm-hmm. Odo's 1950s counterpart, the editor of the magazine. I can't mm-hmm. remember his name. but um, Now, his reaction to uh, Benny's writing that story, um, you know, I, I'm a magazine editor. I'm not a crusader. You know, he can't, he's not going to print the story with the black captain, you know, and, and I think that sort of reaction, I don't know, that seems like the, the typical, um, you know, I'm not racist, but, you know, kind of thing, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but, but, you know, if I try and imagine it in the fifties, I mean, it's, it seems on the surface, like a reasonable response. Caesar, you mm-hmm. haven't spoken up in a bit. What do you think? Um, yeah, well, I noticed, like... What I'm, kind of racism is this, you know? It's business well, racism. <laughs> well, for that particular time, yeah, it, it was a little bit of both. It was probably business and um, personal. Um, is it okay? Um, is it racism? Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely is racism. Um, I would, would say there's no question that um, Arbizhan Wall's character is, is, is very is very racist in this. He's not... Um, let me put it this way. He's not racist in a mean way he's just um he's complacent about society in that way that you know what this is this is wrong i know it's wrong but i'm not going to do anything about it because i don't have any power and um that makes him racist that's my question uh, that makes him um, racist that he's not going to that he that he's like this is not uh, my concern I, I have my job let's make the magazine i don't care i would and say yes his inaction would, makes him racist I, I would say yes because um Yes, I would say it's it's racist. Um, 
does it make him racist on the same level as say a Ku Klux Klan member? No, but um, um, yeah, I would definitely say it, it is racist. There are shades of gray. I mean, it's there. Are, things are right and things are wrong, and you know there is the racist attitudes. And at, at the same time, do we really expect everyone to quit their jobs because of it? Because that's really the only way that you would be. You know, kind of the totally just standpoint is well, if I'm not going to stand for this happening here, and I won't work for a company that does it, let's all leave. I mean, I guess they could, but we know that's not going to happen. You know, what's the likelihood of that? So, so how do you? (laughs) So, how do you overcome this? You just wait fifty years? What? Well, I think that's Um, what happened in this country, more or less. I mean, you know, it's a gradual thing. All these kinds of things are gradual things. You know, incrementally. Well, and very, to a, like, to a certain people. extent, he did try to actually, you know, for you know, get past this racism by saying, okay, well, if it's a dream um, in the story, then does that change it enough, and can we print it by doing that? So, in a way, he did kind of a little bit stand up for him, you know, in an attempt to actually get the story published. <clears throat> mm-hmm. But still, it didn't. But. Yeah. But I did what I didn't. We were since we're talking about the other characters in the um, in the show. Um, I did find it interesting. You know, they're they weren't even close to their characters um, in DS, DS9. You know, we're talking about um, Odo and mm-hmm. the character. You know, nothing like Odo, not, not just or anything. Kind of Weasley and spineless. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, you can, we can have this debate on whether or not he was racist. Um, I think if you look at looking back on that, if you if you're looking back on it now, you could say it was racist. But my like we, we like would say that, we would all agree that the cops were racist, right? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, yeah. But I guess if you look back at it, if, you, if you're looking at it from right now, from our present, and you look at um, Renee's character, I, it's easier to say he's racist. I don't know if maybe you could say he was racist in 1950. I don't know. It's a it's a tough question. It's kind of relative. I mean, I guess it's a matter of malicious behavior versus just passive letting something happen. I mean, neither are – I mean, it doesn't make you right just being passive, but there are always all those kinds of people and those kinds of characters, you know, that just let something go by versus people that want to cause problems and and be aggressive towards people they don't like, you know. He was definitely not a very likable character. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Well, speaking of all the other characters here – now it makes sense, of course, that we have uh, the actors sans makeup playing these roles, um, their '50s counterparts, um, because it is a vision that Benny, that Cisco mm-hmm. is having. We we probably would agree that it's a vision given to him by the prophets, mm-hmm. at least yeah. because they say at the beginning that it, you know, he's experiencing the same kind of neural things that happened to him during the episode rapture the previous year. Um, but I don't know. I don't know that it, that it really makes a difference whether you know that or not, whether you realize that, I mean, it's very fun for a Star Trek person to watch and say, Oh, that's so-and-so that's so-and-so. But I don't know that it makes any kind of narrative uh, difference. I'm curious, Trey, did you realize that was the case that all the, all the dialogue parts in this were populated by people that play, you know, aliens and things or whatever on DS nine. Did it make a difference if you did or did not you know i i i kind of had a hunch um you know I, I figured that might um make a little bit of sense you know in 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 a series to do that but um it didn't no i don't think it really affected i think as it works well as just a standalone 
Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it worked really well. And as I said, I, I wish I would have watched it a couple more times. But um, no, I, I don't think that um, that affected my, my viewing of it. Um, also, let's discuss why did the prophets give him this vision? So the, 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 the episode opens up with Cisco, Captain Cisco, is kind of second guessing, you know, whether he should be continue to serve in Starfleet uh, in this position, uh, seeing overseeing such a significant aspect of the war with the Dominion, and he's he's losing a lot of faith here. And then the prophets give him this vision, and at the and it helps him turn around, change his opinion, you know. It, you know mm-hmm. why was they were they just trying to come up with a good narrative reason to you know tell this great story in the 50s or is there more to the the reason that Ben Cisco had this vision um, I think I it's think yeah good well um, I think they were preparing him for the road to road to come I mean um you kind of see it in the visions you know when he's all excited about the story being published and then you know the priest his father basically says um this is just the beginning um, if you kind of look at it in terms of the Deep Space Nine timeline, it is kind of just the beginning. You will see a lot of darker times, definitely, you know, coming up real soon for Cisco. Um, mm-hmm. That um, this was, um, to me, I, I, I was thinking about this before the episode, during the episode, and after the episode, because it had been a while since I'd seen it, and I'm like, kind of was wondering, how does this kind of fit? And um, and it was really just a re- to me. It's just kind of just a refocus him to show him who he was, and you know, you see that in the character of Benny because he stands up for himself. He was like, you know, I am I'm a human being, and you know, that that that's what Cisco needs moving forward because it's going to be rough, real quick for him, and um, he needed that. I think they just did, they wanted to give him some strength somehow. Steve, what were you going to say? Yeah, I, th- I mean, I, I, I suspect <laughs> the most likely explanation is they wanted to tell this story in the in the 50s and all this and have this idea and then let's make it work, you know. I mean, that that's my best guess, you know. let's How would this make any sense? Well, he has a vision and it helps him, you know, et cetera. Like you said, stay, stay in it and not quit Starfleet and all this kind of thing. You know, that seems more plausible to me, but, you know, kind of backtracking. Like, we want to tell this story. How do we make it work, you know? Well, I, th- I have a feeling that there's a lot of things you could say this episode is about, certainly on the, the highest uh, level, um, is, is the racial inequality that we've discussed. Um, but, you know, the most interesting thing to me is this idea of, um, you know, because he created something. Not only is it real, is he, he created this vision of, you know, Benny Russell created this vision of Benjamin Sisko. Um, not only is that narrative real, but the idea of a black captain, you know, of a black man in, in serving in this kind of role is real because he created it. You know, and in a way, it, it, you know, it makes, as the, the preacher tells him, you know, write the words and, and in writing those words he's kind of reaffirming himself and, and I think that's why he at the end I, I love the way he breaks down every Brooks is so amazing and it's just not it's not just his performance even when he breaks down you know the words that he's saying you know you can't take it away you can't kill an idea you know I still think it, you, you put it this way you don't feel like he's completely broken there's still something in there that they can't break 
Mm-hmm. You know, even when mm-hmm. he's even when he's taken away, you know, we have those shots of him in the ambulance, and he's still there. You know, mm-hmm. um, and the fact and the, the the idea that he creates this it reaffirms him, and it's unbreakable, and it makes him unbreakable. There's something very um, profound about that to me. What kind of things do you guys have for what it's about? Well, I, I, I agree. I think that uh, primarily, I mean, essentially in the, in the narrative of what happened in the 50s, he couldn't get that story published in that time. It wasn't the right thing. But the, the important side is if you, I mean, not to sound melodramatic or whatever, but if you can dream something, if you can envision something, that thing can be. You know, I think that's kind of, for me, what it is. You know, if, if it can be imagined, if, if, if we can come up with it, they can happen. Mr. Caesar? Yeah, it kind of sums it up. I mean, you know, when he says, um, you are the dream and the dreamer. And Trey mentioned that earlier, a little bit of a paradox going on in there. And, um, you know, and it's, it's been a theme, not just in this episode, but in, in Star Trek for a long time. You know, um, Q kind of, in a weird way, said the same thing to Picard. It's not the journey of the stars and the galaxy. It's the journey of the mind. And um, this, I think, kind of emphasizes that as well. Trey, what do you think it's uh, about? I, I think you summed it up perfect. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, yeah, I I don't know what I can add to that. That's, uh, I, I completely agree. <laughs> <laughs> you know, my favorite thing about this episode, it's such a great episode. In, in every way that it can be good, it's great. I mean, when I'm watching this episode, it's one of those episodes, one of those few episodes of Star Trek that is so good that while you're watching it, you're like, well... Of course, this is the best episode of Star Trek, you know? <laughs> I, I think that when I'm watching a few other episodes that are so good that while you're watching them, you know, it's as good as it gets, right? But I was, I was impressed uh, with the detail, to be honest with you. I've been watching a lot of Mad Men lately, and just, um, it's, mm-hmm. the, it's the exact same look. I mean, you know, you, I would, couldn't really tell the difference between Mad Men, which is shot now, but same time period. Um, and this episode, how well they, they really got the detail. Yeah, and that's down. one of the... That my favorite thing about this episode is, is is how much fun it is to watch, and there are so many reasons for that. One of those is exactly what you just said: the detail. Every time it shows like Benny Russell's apartment, there's so much detail in there; it's it's mind blowing. You know, it's so much fun to watch for a Star Trek person with all the you know actors playing different roles. It's so much fun to watch because it's it's got so much to say. I in, I really enjoy watching this episode. There there are a lot of great episodes of Star Trek. This one I enjoy watching it. I think that um, mm-hmm. we you know one of the purposes of this of this podcast was to to decide you know which episodes hold up. In, in a way, I think you know this is pro- <laughs> when I'm not actually watching this episode. It's probably between this episode and the Visitor for my favorite episode of. Of DS9, and we're hey. Next time, I think we're going to be talking about Pale Moonlight, which is probably number three. Um, but it it this episode, in a way, whether it's my all-time DS9 favorite or not, in a way, I think this episode probably will hold up better than any other. You know, mm-hmm. I really could see somebody watching this episode in, in fifty years from now. Hmm. Yeah, and it's I got see that. it's got Jeffrey Combs just being absolutely amazing as well. <laughs> Watch Jeff Combs do anything. Yeah. All right. Let's move on to Six Degrees. 
six degrees four far beyond the stars uh trey i have a special question for you actually far beyond the stars as you can guess which is very difficult for me to do our traditional six degrees with uh you know where we we ask uh about a certain actor that played a different character in star trek in a different episode of star trek uh we'll hear these we all know these guys i've asked questions about these everybody in this episode so many times so not really doing a traditional six degrees. Our other episodes today, we will. For this one, we've got some slightly different questions. But I do have a special question for you, Trey. Okay. Brock Peters plays both Cisco's father, Joseph, as well as a preacher from the 1950s. This year marks the 50th anniversary of Peters' best-known performance as Tom Robinson, a black man unjustly convicted of raping a white girl in what film? Uh, to Kill a Mockingbird, if I'm not... You are correct. And, you're, and you're, I have you a bonus question for you. Name the okay. 1973 sci-fi film that's a little bit more appropriate for us, uh, where Brock Peters was featured along with Charlton Heston, Joseph Cotton, and Edward G. Robinson. Soylent Green. Wow, two for two. Look at that. All right. Um, Steve. Yes. Because Cisco's neural patterns are similar to the ones he experienced in Rapture, we assume the prophets send him the vision of 1950s Benny Russell. When we next see Benny Russell uh, early in the seventh season, when Benny is in the mental institution, who sends that vision? Oh, good grief. Um, hmm. I remember that happening, but I don't necessarily remember the context in which it occurred. Hmm. Um. Uh, the the paw wraiths. You are correct. It was the paw oh, wraiths. Cool. Uh, Trey, those are like the evil version of the prophets. Uh, uh, Adam, name the three principals who only appear in this episode as their 1950s counterparts. Now I'm asking about you know of our main main DS9 crew like opening credit people. Name the three who only appear in this episode as their ni- 1950s counterparts. So they're only their 1950s counterparts. Um. That would be Odo. Yep. Um, now you're making me think. Um, <laughs> Secure um, O'Brien. Yep, one more. And the <clears throat> Bashir principal um, Dax. Nope, we see Dax. No. Steve, who's the other person? Um, is it Nog? Uh, well, no, I was asking. Uh, principles. Oh, the opening oh, principles. Uh, I'll just give it. That was a hard question. It was Shimmerman. Hmm. Okay. okay. Yeah, that would, yeah, you're right. The quirk. So that's uh, uh, one, zero. And Trey, our guest, of course, wins with Infinity. Trey. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us, man. I'm, I really appreciate it. It was great for this episode to not only get an outsider's perspective, but to get your perspective. Well, you know, I thank you for uh, for having me on and introducing me to that episode. It was fantastic, and I will I will pass it on to many. Excellent. Uh, tell the folks at home where they can find you. Um, radcast.com, R-A-D-D-C-A-S-T dot com. Tons of fun. Outstanding. Thanks again, man. Thanks, guys. See you. 
One Little Ship, Season 6, Episode 14, Production Number 537, Original Air Date, February 18, 1998, Written by David Weddle and Bradley Thompson, Directed by Alan Croker, Music Composed by Jay Chataway. Guest cast include Aaron Eisenberg as Nog, Scott Thompson Baker as First Kudak Etan, Fritz Sperberg as Second Ixtana Rocks, Leland Crook as Gelnon, and Christian Zimmerman as Third Lamont Ukan. <laughs> Dax, O'Brien, and Bashir investigate a rare subspace phenomenon that will shrink their runabout to about four inches long. They are all assured this effect will be reversed once they leave the anomaly. When all of a sudden the Deviant is um, attacked, the runabout is thrown from the phenomenon, um, unchanged. Cisco and the others are overtaken by the Jemadar. Now the miniature um, runabout um, must get back into the Defiance and find out what is going on. So, uh, how small are they? The miniaturization process won't begin until the runabout reaches the edge of the accretion disk. I see. And, uh, then they'll begin to shrink? Yes, sir. <laughs> Major, are you laughing at our investigation of this subspace anomaly? No, sir. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> I did not... Okay, we've talked about uh, pretty much every episode. Uh, nope, nope, I'll phrase this another way. You guys remember me saying pretty much every episode between now and the end of DS9 I love. <laughs> the reason I put the word pretty much ahead of it is for this episode. <laughs> I do not like this episode. I didn't like it back then. I don't like it today. It's just silly and absurd from the very beginning. From the very beginning, it's just like, oh, yeah. we're just shrinking them. First of all, the, the casualness of it is, is, is nutty. Uh, the fact that they're doing it at all is silly. The fact that they're choosing to do it is so obviously absurdly dangerous. And I, yeah. I don't understand. I don't, I immediately don't like this episode when I'm watching it. Yeah. You know, and, and I, I knew that I saw this one coming. I, I, okay. Oh, this, oh yeah, this one, you know, the funny thing is, is like, in some ways I think it could be worse. You know I mean? I think, I think the mistake is doing the episode. I don't think it's in the execution of the episode. I mean, that doesn't really help, you know, I no, guess. I know really, Cause they like make the, the effects work is really good. For example. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's like, it's kind of like someone making them like saying, okay, here's what you're doing. You're doing the shrinking one, do your best. Well, they did their best, but it's still the shrinking episode. You know, yeah. that, that's just all it is to it. You know, now Ira bear. And I think Ekaveria, one of the other guys talked about, they think this episode might've worked better. If, uh, instead of having such serious villains, the gem and if they'd had somebody funny, um, like Ira bear, I don't know how serious he was, but at one point he said, Harry mud should have been the villain. I think Ekaveria, uh, said uh, it should have been the pack lids, you know. And if it had been a little bit more silly overall, then I, mean, I don't know. Maybe it would have worked better. But I just, I just, ugh. Caesar, what do you think? <laughs> I obviously didn't hate it as bad as you did. Um, it's not hate. It's just that it's so obviously absurdly silly. I actually agree with you, Steve. The, it, it was just wrong to even do it. You know? <laughs> um, it, it, I just, I, I hate that they made it. I don't hate it when I'm watching it. I hate that they made it. You know, I dislike it when I'm watching it because I think it's so silly. It's hard for me to watch it objectively because it's just so absurd the entire time. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 Yeah, I understand. It is, I mean, quite, it is quite absurd. And, uh, you know, on a, on a positive note, it's kind of kind of in a fun, in, in, in the same way like a children's book is fun. They kind of have like the solving problems under strange circumstances kind of thing going on. Sometimes that's, you know, I can see how a, a young kid, like a kid might dig it. 
more. You know what I'm saying? It's kind of it's like just fun. <laughs> you're, trying, you know? you're trying. I appreciate that. <laughs> okay. For example, when uh, O'Brien and Bashir beam into that circuit board area, those <laughs> ice linear chips or whatever they are, I like that little science bit. Oh, we we wouldn't be able to breathe. The oxygen molecules are too big. Molecules are too big. So we're gonna have to beam in some oxygen along with us. That's a nice little bit of science. Great. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, to even understand where they are, I think you'd have to you'd have to know Star Trek enough that you're gonna find it silly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know. But even that, even even when I think it can't get any sillier, then we've got them in the land of giant isolinear chips, <laughs> and it's and it's silly too. Yeah, I, I was wondering why why would they have to suffocate? Why couldn't she just be more be more oxygen? Yeah, I was wondering about that too. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, the, 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 that's when it kind of lost me a little bit. The set that uh, I like the idea of like you know them being in this you know miniatures being in the the chips, but it just kind of looked cheesy to me you know you had these like um you know obviously they were just putting together kind of what they it's like you know go to the storage closet and see what we can put together to make this look like a um isolinear chip world you know and you got these tubes and stuff like that and obviously i mean if anybody's looked at a circuit board it looks absolutely nothing like that so it was just kind of it was just kind of it kind of lost me there i was like this is a little silly yeah the only real positive i can say for it is that the effects work is very good. You know, the way they make the runabout, the way it kind of hovers around and flies around is excellent. The way it's integrated into the shots is very good. All that stuff is good. The kind of choreography of that last fight sequence in engineering, I think, is actually very well done. Mm-hmm. You know, but it, it it's never so amazing that it makes me forget how silly I think it is the entire <laughs> And I I'm pretty sure this is the last episode of DS9 that I don't that I don't like. I'm pretty sure. I don't remember anymore that I pretty much from now on. I, I said did, pretty much again. I'm trying not to say pretty much. From now on, I like everything. <laughs> everything from here on out. I did enjoy the last scene with Odo and Quark when they were out. Yeah, that was humorous. Odo making his joke about making um, O'Brien and Bashir think that they were a couple centimeters too short or something. Yeah, that's well, funny. And they say you don't have a sense of humor. <laughs> uh, if you. Uh, I don't. I've never actually mentioned it on this podcast, but um, there is a good Star Trek drinking game. Um, and if you're underage, please drink Pepsi. Uh, that's that's for you. To actually, I tried that new the Pepsi next. I like it. Uh, but anytime on Star Trek, they say step away from the console. You can huh. take a drink. Yeah. Um, now, in this episode, they say step away from the consoles, plural, but I think that's good enough. I think that counts. So, right. so you know, the, you do get a point in the Star Trek drinking game on this episode. I'm, I'm trying to find positive things to say. <laughs> that's going to say it. That's really going to touch like one listener. We'll get an email. You know, it's like, well, I really appreciate this. Thank you much for. <laughs> Rookie, what did you think? What did you think their idea with the Amma or the, the Gamma and Alpha um, Jemadar? Um, I think they might have had an interesting idea, but obviously it didn't really come off. And maybe it's bec- it didn't come off because of the rest of the episode was so silly. But at any rate, they never ever mention that again. Yeah, um, yeah. So it, the yeah, only explanation the is question. either they decided it wasn't any good, or more likely, I think this episode took it down, took that idea down with it. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> 
I kept looking to see if I could see anything like um, physically different with them. You know, I think maybe if they would have made them like look a little bit physically different, or maybe they did. I don't know. I couldn't really tell. It seemed like they they looked a little different in the face, like the way their bone structure, the the bony things in their face structure seemed a little different to me. But you know. <sighs> I guess that's a sign when the episode's not that great when you're trying to figure out if there's a those kind of differences. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I, I agree with with you, Steve. That they did it as well as they could. It was just absurd yeah. to try it. Um, so I don't know. You guys got anything for what this is about? We went Can you over. You go into an anomaly, come out the same way. Yeah, very good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good lesson. <laughs> Uh, that's about it yeah uh, I don't that's all yeah uh, DS9 does a crappy episode like this it's still better than most of television this mm-hmm. is true yeah it was still that's entertaining cool. I enjoyed watching it it has its moments if I was watching DS9 start to finish which we're doing for this podcast and I skipped this episode I would feel like I missed something how's that <laughs> The only episode of DS9 that I wouldn't say that about is Move Move Along Home. <laughs> this episode is better than Move Along Home. And that's the compliment that we're going to leave it with. All right. If you guys don't want to add anything else, what it's about. No, I'm good. No, we're good. Okay. <laughs> Size doesn't matter. That's what it's about. <laughs> okay. Moving on. Six degrees for one little ship. Um... We've got Steve's got one, Adam's got none. Uh, Adam. Yes. Fritz Sperberg plays Ixtana Rocks, the Jem'Hadar second that was right to never trust Cisco. In Voyager's seventh season, Sperberg played Ranek in the episode Body and Soul. Ranek is searching for holographic terrorists. When Ranek encounters the Delta Flyer 2, the Doctor's program is downloaded into an unusual location to hide him from Ranek. Where did the Doctor go? Where did they download the doctor? Um, where did they download the doctor? I have no idea. Steve? Oh, man, I'm mixing up on some of these things, but is that where the one were like downloaded into seven or something? You are correct, into okay. seven. And then the doctor kind of controls seven instead. I believe it was seven and nine's cortical implant specifically. Uh, yes. uh, Steve has two. Steve, Leland Crook plays Gelnon, the Vorta that entrusts the Defiant to his Alpha Quadrant Jem'Hadar. Crook also played Firek Plin in Enterprise's second season in the episode Precious Cargo, in which Plin and his brother kidnap first monarch, Kaitama, in order to hold her for ransom. Who played Kaitama? And I am asking this question for my wife, who is a big fan of this person. Hmm, okay. Well, well, I only vaguely remember the that episode, so I don't think I'm going to be able to come up with that, I'm afraid. <clears throat> Caesar, do you know? I have no idea. It was Padme Lakshmi. All right, yeah. Model, actress, and she's the top chef girl now. Uh, okay. okay. Bonus question for Mr. Caesar. Since, um, name a worse episode of Enterprise. <laughs> Their last episode? No, that was a trick question. There actually is no worse episode. That's the worst one. Um, <laughs> two zero. Moving on. 
Honor Among Thieves, Season 6, Episode 15, Production Number 539, Original Air Date, February 25th, 1998, Teleplay by Renea Caveria, Story by Philip Kim, Directed by Alan Eastman, Music Composed by Greg Smith, Guest Cast Include Michael Harney as Chadwick, Carlos Carrasco as Kroll, John Chandler as Flith, Leland Crook as Vorta, Joseph Culp as Ramus, Brad Blaisdell as Yint, and Nick Tate as Liam Bilby. Starfleet Intelligence recruits Chief O'Brien to infiltrate the Orion Syndicate, the Alpha Quadrant's <laughs> leading organized crime ring, to find a Starfleet informant. Posing as a handyman, O'Brien makes contact with a trio from the Syndicate by repairing a piece of their equipment. After researching O'Brien's fake background, Bilby, the leader of the trio, decides to bring him into his circle of associates. Do you have any idea what the Klingons will do to you when they catch you? They're not going to catch me. Yes, they will. Starfleet Intelligence will warn them you're coming. How do you know that? I suppose you work for them. Mr. Caesar, please kick us off on this episode. You know, this is a solid episode. I kept, you know, walking into it. Plus, I couldn't remember if I, you know, couldn't remember if I liked it or not. I don't know if I remember just, you know, just didn't like the idea of it or whatever. But I was like, you know, I was like, oh, this is this episode. And I couldn't remember if I, just couldn't remember if I liked it or not. But after I was like, this was actually pretty solid. Um, I don't know, you know, we, we've been talking, we talked about earlier, you know, why they're doing some of these standalone episodes Um um, I'm not. I guess they're going to be what introducing the Orion Syndicate. More, the Orion Syndicate is going to be coming more into play down the road, right? Yeah, and there's at least there's a, there's kind of a spinoff in this episode in the next season that I remember. Yeah, that's right. Um, so um, it's a difference. It's a kind of a grungy look. It's different from you know from other episodes. Clean, you know, you see Orion with the five o'clock shadow and he's kind of gringy and dirty. Um, um, it kind of has that, um, you know, you know, if you've ever seen any kind of like a, a mobster movie and it, it kind of has that feel, you know, I, I vouch for you. So it, it has all the elements of kind of like, you know, a, a crime story or, you know, a mob story. So, um, I, like I said, I, I came out liking it a little bit more than I thought I was going to like it. Yeah. I remember it being, um, <clears throat> I don't know. You know, Voyager does did this a few times too, where they just kind of almost the whole episode is is totally different. You know, it's it's like a it just opens somewhere else, and we've got our characters doing something else, and they're being somebody else. You know, I remember Voyager doing this a few times, um, and I liked it when Voyager did it. Um, here, yeah, I. I like this slightly more than I remembered liking it. I still feel like it has a it has kind of one fundamental problem, um, and that's the relationship between uh, O'Brien, well, his undercover O'Brien and Bilby. It I don't know. It always seems like a bit of a, a stretch or something. Like they don't have such a natural rapport. Chemistry. Yeah. Anybody else feel that way? Yeah, it does kind of seem like you know he ingratiates um, O'Brien a lot. Fa- he doesn't you know a lot faster than you would think. But you know, forty-five yeah. minutes. Yeah, and I think that it's they just they don't sell it right. You know, it's hard to say. You know, maybe if they would have had um, O'Brien maybe save his life or something, that might have been. I think that might have been a little bit more believable. Something something along those those lines, but you know they just basically have O'Brien you know 
fix a couple things for him and you know what's that scene where he says he would he didn't want to want him to know about stealing the disruptor parts and so and that yeah. made him real happy um i think that maybe they could have just changed some things around and had a life-saving moment or something like that might have formed a different a bond between them a little bit more i i do remember um like the I th- the vorta showing up was a big deal like, oh man, it's Orion Syndicate and the board is there. And I feel like they should have made a lot more out of that. That could mm-hmm. have been a, even nuttier. Um, and, it, and it, you know, it has a nice feeling of tying the episode into the series again. Mm-hmm. Um, Steve, what you think yeah. about this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I kind of, I mean, I agree on all those points. I think that, yeah, you, I don't feel, it, make, it makes O'Brien kind of seem a little, I don't know, too soft too soft or something you know how he you know totally when you when they don't sell it well enough the relationship to make it feel like he really why does he really care why is he so i'm gonna to the point where i punch out the you know guy that brought me in here and will wants to take me home yeah, this kind Starfleet of thing guy yeah yeah and uh and then and, and yes the may, maybe that would have helped to tie it in with everything better if they would have you know made something with that vorta and so forth i think as yeah i think one thing is and this is kind of on this topic but not this episode and the next one to a, a lesser degree do this thing where let's come up with some excuse to drop someone in but there is a little bit of taking you out when you have trouble buying the whole notion of why is this person mm-hmm. in the situation to begin with you know it seems so peculiar um nate nick uh nick tate was not the first choice to play bilby Mm-hmm. Um, and you know the original guy, uh, somebody else might have. I, I like him, but it. I think I just feel like it was the uh, kind of a lack of chemistry because it was the writing was fine, it, the, the and each individual was fine, but the two together without writing didn't sell it to me. Yeah. Well, yeah, because um, basically O'Brien kind of seemed disinterested the whole time when they were talking. You know, you just kind of had like that feeling that O'Brien was just like, eh, you know, wasn't really paying attention. Didn't really like feel like he had a lot of feeling. In her. Yeah, now, like uh, Bilby. <laughs> yeah, also Bilby is kind of a funny name to me. <laughs> it, it sounds like a putz or like a, like a it sounds like a, a, a guy that, I don't know, a humorist guy that drops mm-hmm. stuff or something i don't know like that's a clown kind of name which is maybe that's just me um no offense if we have a listener named bilby <laughs> <laughs> i took offense to your remark about my last name <laughs> Sorry. um but you know like he okay bilby has this little thing he keeps saying you know family is the most important thing um bilby has a family there's a picture of his family that spin-off Ooh. episode I'm pretty sure it's seventh season. Um, it's going to deal with a member of his family. Um, he sends all his money to his family, all this stuff. But he's still a criminal. He's still, you know, there's that scene where he literally uh, kills someone with that Klingon disruptor. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's an important scene. I think that that scene should have been the thing that just... Because of that scene, it makes it even harder for me to... Um, except that O'Brien, like you, you mentioned a second ago, Steve, that O'Brien would get to the point where he punches out the Starfleet guy um, and to go essentially save Bilby. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, my question, though, is 
is that too disparate? Can can he be family's most important thing? Can he be the guy that says that the whole time? Does he really mean that? Can he be that and be um, killer uh, criminal guy? You know, is there is there a, a distance there that's unfair? I think I think at the very best you end up with the cliched um, gangster type with that. And I don't even think they got that far because I think it's kind of like what you said about, it has nothing to do with his name, I guess, but whatever. The notion, though, of him being a little just kind of not, not, not the brightest or whatever, not like, not like a very formidable guy. So you've got a guy that will murder somebody, yet he talks about family and all this kind of stuff, yet he, he gets uh, played by O'Brien, who's not even a real intelligence operative. And I don't know, it just makes me not care much about him, you know? Mm. Yeah, I couldn't help but think about the movie Donnie Brasco when I watched this episode either. I mean, you know, it, it's, I'm going to make a very loose comparison. I don't want um, the viewer or the listeners out there to think that I'm comparing this episode to Donnie Brasco. That it's a good movie, but um, <laughs> it's you know, um, Al Pacino's character in that movie is kind of you know kind of a goop. You know, he's a likable character, but he's an idiot, and that's kind of how I see Bill B. He's a likable guy, but he's kind of a, he's an idiot. Does that kind of make sense? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, the things that this episode does that I like, um, it is different. You know, if you're watching mm-hmm. all, a bunch of DS9, it's it's nice to kind of take this break to do something different. Um, Caesar, like you mentioned, it's kind of gritty. I love that kind of matte painting. They use it a couple of times. Uh, this kind of shows the city, and it's dirty and grimy, and I, I, I love that matte painting. It's gorgeous. It's kind of, yeah, we don't it's get really to see good. the kind of kind of the dirty side. Of, yeah, we um, never see that. We never mm-hmm. see that. Um, so th- that's cool, you know. So so I like that it's that it does a good job of contrasting things. Um, I like that they still are, even though it's different, they still manage to kind of tie it into DS Nine, the show. I mean, uh, with a little bit of the, with the Vorta and that whole plan, um, and you know, I like. I like that at the end, Bilby chooses to go get himself killed, basically. You know, I like that narrative point that he, he does that because he thinks it's the safest thing um, for his for family. family. Um, it's the one action that makes that makes me think he does kind of mean it when he says family is the most important thing, or he does mean it when he has the, that he has that picture there on his desk of his family. Um, you know, assuming that's the reason that he really does it. Um you know, but I have a hard time saying what it's about, which is mm-hmm. never a good sign. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd, I'd be kind of stretching to say something about family. Um, well, what do you do? You guys have anything for what it's about? Not yeah, really. Just, well, yeah, not really. But, it's kind of a stretch. Um, I think. Um, I think maybe I would have liked to, I, to go back. I, I do like this episode, but I, I've kind of questioned some of the placements of the episodes in this season. I think maybe they would have been better episodes earlier, but you know, I don't know if these are things they had in their in their drawer that they had written earlier. We're like, okay, we need to get these. Yeah, put yeah, these it feels out. Like that. Hmm. Yeah, it feels like that, and it feels like we got to do something for O'Brien. Let's do, do this one with him. And we can't torture him. We torture him every season. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And I mean, in the episode better though. He had a torture <laughs> scene with O'Brien. 
I don't want to imagine how a guy named Bilby would torture somebody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. So we don't really have anything for what it's about, which is not a good sign. Um, O'Brien gets a cat. That's what it's about. It's about O'Brien getting a cat. Yeah. I mean, it, maybe it's about um, trust and family and loyalty. Loyalty, you know, in spite of, um, you know, still O'Brien is able to feel something for this man, even after he's seen what he's done, mm-hmm. um, even because he kind of understands where he's from and that he's fought his way up to this point. And I and there's there's some kind of respect there that O'Brien has for him, and he kind of understands him, and he's able to empathize with him enough, um, you know, that he tries to save him. Um, and I guess that says something about, um, you know, what's most important. Okay. So, moving on. Six degrees for... It's getting dark here. <laughs> Six degrees for Honor Among Thieves. <laughs> what is our score? Is it actually three to nothing? Or is it two to nothing? I'm not sure. No clue. Great. <laughs> um, Steve, Steve got the paw of the wraiths. Nobody got that one. Steve got seven of nine's cortical implant. Nobody got that one. It is in fact two nothing. Okay, on our mug thieves. <clears throat> Adam, you want to go first or second? I'll go first. Nick Tate plays Billby, the syndicate member that should not have vouched for O'Brien. In Next Gen's fourth season, he played Durgo, captain of the ship that crash lands in the desert with Picard and Wesley in Wesley's final regular appearance on Next Gen. Name the episode. I know the episode. I don't know the name. It's encased in some weird spider glass I don't know the name of the episode <laughs> Steve do you know the name of the episode um, it's it's kind of there I'm trying to remember it's, it's, uh, some d- duty is it first duty you're very close but that's not it it's final okay. mission final mission final, oh it's a different one I was thinking of okay very good final mission yeah but it's got the same kind of feel there final mission mm-hmm. <laughs> Wesley's final mission uh, Steve Carlos Carrasco plays Kroll, the Orion Syndicate member that uses the data port in his neck to access both food and banking online. In Voyager's third season, he played Ba-Rat in the episode Fair Trade. Ba-Rat manages a trade station and gets upset when he discovers that Neelix has unwittingly traded in contraband with a fellow Talaxian who Neelix thought was an old friend. What has Neelix traded for? What's the contraband? What's What's the bad stuff? Hmm. A generic word will suffice. Hmm. Gosh, this just doesn't ring a bell at all. Um. Yeah, Voyager's third season, a long time ago. Yeah. I don't know. Narcotics. You are correct. It was drugs. Oh, great. Okay, good. <laughs> so that's a three zero. Moon on. all fails drugs. Yeah. Drugs. <laughs> 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 Change of Heart, Season 6, Episode 16, Production Number 540, Original Air Date, March 4th, 1998, Written by Ronald D. Moore, Directed by David Livingston, Music Composed by Dennis McCarthy, Guest Cast Include Todd Waring as LaSaren. Dax and Worf are sent to the Badlands to meet with a Cardassian double agent. They receive an encrypted subspace transmission from LaSaren, the operative. 
He has information about where the founders are located in the Alpha Quadrant, but before he will reveal anything, he wants Dax and Worf to help him defect. Worf. It's been a great two months, hasn't it? Yes. Jitsuya, I just want to tell you how... I love this episode. You know, I loved it at the time. It was one of those great episodes, and I still think it's just as great. I think this episode is really good. Um, <clears throat> it's, it's very interesting that you would <laughs> take the time to examine Jadzia and Worf's love for one another after they get married. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, what shows do that, you know? Um, what, what what do you guys feel on about this episode? Yeah, I, I like it too, and that's unusual for me because I don't like lovey-dovey yeah. stuff usually. But it's just because it's so I don't know, it's so focused and it's so big. I mean, it's you know, it's it's just. I mean, you know, it. I don't know how else to say it. I mean, it's 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 about love and devotion above all. Period. You know, to, and, and you know, we've talked before of how strong Worf and Dax are together as far as comparatively with Trek relationships and so on. And and this is a, obviously a good um, illustration of that. You know, and and especially knowing Worf and his history and how mm-hmm. we know that character and what he's about. You know, and and obviously he's honorable and, and you know and being um, you know truthful and faithful to one's <laughs> mate and so on is is part of that makes sense in his character. But he's also about duty, and here he he made had to make the choice. You know, and that's that's what's so dramatic. Yeah, and, and I often talk about um, character development over the course of the series and episodes. And episodes that they couldn't they couldn't have done earlier, or characters doing things that it wouldn't have made sense before, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's just a sign of a great television show and great storytelling uh, that they got to this point, and I believe it because can you imagine the wharf of next gen or even earlier DS Nine choosing love over duty? No, absolutely not. No way. But here. I believe it. I believe he's running through that forest, the jungle, and his heart is beating. And he turns around and he goes back and he gets her. And at the end of the episode, whenever she, he says, I love you, and she says, and I love you, you know, whenever they tell each other that, I, I believe them. Mm-hmm. I mean, I really do. And it says so much that, that they can take Worf to this place. Worf, of all people... You know, mm-hmm. he's the du- he's the duty <laughs> guy, and I and I believe it, and that's what makes it so good. <clears throat> um, my favorite scene in the in this episode was um, when they're in the runabout and they're in the way and they're talking about the honeymoon and everything like that. Wait, it's a little hard to understand. You say, speak. Oh, up. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Um, you yeah, know, the scene where- uh, Mr. Caesar had a little bit a minor internet issue, but. Uh, we'll be return to your regular quality on the next episode, <laughs> but his um, intellectual quality is just as good as ever. <laughs> Continue. 
<laughs> what I was saying is I love the um, I love the scene in the runabout the the bantering you never really see a lot of um, the dialogue bantering with Worf and um, it about was their honeymoon and stuff yeah and they're talking about their honeymoon and he's like um, I agree and he's like you know and they they keep fighting you know because that's kind of their you know their relationship it's not a fight but it's kind of like yeah it is a fight but it's not a fight it's just how they how they communicate and I and I really love that scene and you get to see Worf and I love. This episode does more for Worf's character than I think any of the others. And I think probably, you know, when we've seen Worf in a lot of different ways and mm-hmm. a lot of different scenarios, but I kind of found this episode, we see more of Worf in this episode than any other episode. And that's, that's quite... That's a great point. It's a, it's, it's, and it's astonishing because we've seen Worf in highly dramatic things throughout the Star Trek series that he's been in. Um, but this one, yeah, um, we, I felt like I saw more about him and his and this episode did more to move his character forward yeah. than any other that I'd seen before. Yeah, you know, you're probably I hadn't thought of it that way, but but I think you're right. This as far as single episodes go, this is the most development that ever happens to Worf in a single episode. Hmm. I mean, we you know, we don't going to get sidelined here talking about this, but I think we've mentioned this before. Worf is it's it's a very unprecedented character in television in general because of the arc that he's gone through over the course of two different television yeah. series. You know, I mean, he started off in Next Gen as almost ancillary. I mean, he barely yeah. was in the in the main cast. You know, but goes through seven years of that, comes in for the final four years of of this, and and yeah, and really. Change and there were a lot of episodes that focused on him over the course of that time. So it, it's 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 probably the, the the most interesting and you know dramatic character arc of anything I can recall. In, in yeah, any not not just Star Trek, but television. right. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. yeah. um, it's certainly rare for uh, you know there have been series that had spinoffs and a character that maybe would come over, but uh, but what they've done with Worf is is must be unprecedented. Um, one other thing I wanted to mention is because we've knocked them for something so many times, and now that they fixed it, I want to point it out. They deserve that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, the way that in, in, a lot of the times when there's a serious episode, the way they've cut a, cut away from the drama to go to some lighter B story. We have talked on this podcast about how it's how it's been how it has been bad for the episode. You know, it's it's taken away from the drama. So, who wrote this one? Ron Moore, I think. Um, yes. Yeah, so Moore did something great in this episode. The B story, which is, um, well, two great things about the B story. One, um, the great thing he did that's different from before is that he he ends it early in the episode. So this is, uh, O'Brien and Bashir, uh, you know, Bashir playing Tongo, trying to beat Quark. Um, so those scenes are finished not the episode isn't even halfway over before he completely finishes the B story. We do not go back, and we spend all the rest of the time with um, Dax and Worf in the jungle. Dax is injured; it's dramatic, and we don't really cut away from it. You know, so that was very good. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other thing that I think is so great about the B story is that the device Quark uses to defeat. Bashir mm-hmm. is to talk about how great Dax was yeah. when they got away, and it, in a weird way, it strengthens the A story, doesn't mm-hmm. it? Mm-hmm. Because yeah, when you sure. do cut back to her, you know, the fact that she's in this peril uh, is is even greater. The fact that you know Worf would turn around for her, of course he would. <laughs> you know, you almost think that because she's she's so you know held in such 
high mm-hmm. regard. Um, mm-hmm. So many people love her like this. Um, so it's it's unusual in a couple of ways that they they would end it early, uh, and that it was so skillfully and subtly support the A story. And so I wanted to make sure to point that out. Mm-hmm. Very, very well crafted writing overall mm-hmm. here. That's that's the thing. Yeah. Yeah. Ron Moore's the man. That's about all there is to it. Is Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're still watching Battlestar, Steve? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I'm okay, into, the, into the third season now. Yeah. Oh, so you've had the big. Oh, we got to talk. You've had the big, the crazy thing has happened. Right. Right. Yeah. Great. <laughs> uh, um, <laughs> just kiss me and go. That's what. So, uh, what is this episode about, guys? I think we already talked about it quite. Love a bit, and devotion. Mm-hmm. Love conquers all. Mm-hmm. Uh, the good of the. One outweighs the good of the many. <laughs> yeah, you know, Worf consciously sacrifices um, yeah. that Cardassian spy who had information that could have helped the entire war effort mm-hmm. for his wife, and he didn't care about the consequences. He says that, you know, it didn't matter. Whatever the consequences to me or my career, or anything, it didn't matter. I had to save her. I could not leave her there. You know, mm-hmm. I believe him. It's touching. In, in the, We've talked about how much it did for his character. Love conquers all. Anything else? I think it's still funny at the end. Cisco still mentions Jennifer. Yeah, yeah. He had a he had a hard stance, but he softened it a little bit with you know his last statement. You know. Yeah, and he was careful in his hard stance. He said, "As your captain, or something mm-hmm. to that effect." Yeah. Uh, I have to tell you, you made the wrong choice. Yeah. And he it is. A man and a husband. Yeah, uh, it, it is nice that there is a consequence. You know, I like that he he has the line about um, you will probably not be given a command of your own. You know, that's that's weighty. That's a big deal. Mm-hmm. That's, that's real consequence for Worf. I mean, it's it's incidental to the episode. Obviously, if they hadn't put them on this mission together, the episode wouldn't existed. But it probably was a bad decision to send them in something of this nature together anyway, especially the two of them by themselves on something like this. Doesn't make well, a lot of sense. Fairness, they weren't necessarily supposed to go to the planet, right? All they were right. doing true, true. To, to intercept a communication. And then once they got there, it was like the communication is, you must go pick me up right me. now. Otherwise yeah. – so we're screwed and there's no time to do anything else you don't you don't have time to um get different personnel or a different ship or anything like that so yeah. they did a good job of setting it up in a way that it was plausible true yeah okay moving on six degrees for change of heart okay so i believe it's steve three adam nil yep yep all right adam Todd Waring plays Lasarin, the Cardassian spy that ends up dying because Worf didn't love him as much as he loved him. Yes, <laughs> nine second season episode whispers he lies to keep O'Brien out of a secure area. Why has Cisco ordered him? Oh, I didn't write down the character name that he played. That was stupid of me. Anyway, he played a character in the episode whispers, and I don't remember the name was. Uh, why does he lie? Uh, let me rephrase. Okay, in the DS Nine second season episode whispers. The character he plays uh, lies to keep O'Brien out of a secure area. Why has Cisco ordered him to keep O'Brien out? The episode um, the episode, that's the crap. That's the episode where isn't that the episode where O'Brien actually isn't with the that's like the double episode. That's where O'Brien is the double. Is like he's been cloned, right? Right. 
That is correct. You got it. Because O'Brien has been replaced with a replicant. All right, three one. Very good, Steve. Sorry, he was literally Saren was literally the only other character in this episode. So, <laughs> yeah, another pseudo six degrees question. Name the nineteen sixty eight John Wayne John Wayne film about two officers journeying into a jungle behind enemy lines that inspired this episode. George Takei was busy shooting this film when the original series shot many second season episodes. Hence, Takei is not in such episodes as The Trouble with Tribbles. Name the nineteen sixty eight John Wayne film. Oh, that's interesting. Um, I think I've heard this before, but. I'm not really. But it is the same storyline as this episode. It was pretty direct. Uh, that's interesting. Okay. Yeah, I don't I don't think I'm gonna come up with it. Mr. Caesar, do you know? Is that the Green Berets? Yeah, you got it. Hmm. Green Berets, that's right. Three two. That's not so bad. It's <laughs> a good comeback. All right. Uh that was episode thirty eight, folks. Um, if I am not mistaken, in two weeks, when we return, we're going to be discussing Pale Moonlight, among others. Awesome. And I'm so glad we finally got to Far Beyond the Stars. Been wanting to watch it. And here we got to watch it. And we got to talk about it with you great people. Thank you very much. Um, leave us a review on iTunes. That would be the most awesome thing you can do. Uh, we really, truly would appreciate it. That's how people find us. And that's why we do this, to share Star Trek and our love of Star Trek with everyone out there. So we would love it if you'd leave a review on iTunes. You can send us an email. That's uh, trekcompanion at gmail.com. Follow us on Facebook, facebook.com slash trekcompanion. Um, and you can follow us on Twitter. That's at trekcompanion. And uh, thanks so much. We'll catch you next time. Bye, guys. See ya. Take it easy. Take it easy.